episode 112, The Dysfunction of Grading. Educators, is your passion tank running on empty? Look no further. Gretchen of Always a Lesson has a double dose of just what you need. Come fill yourself up with an empowering educators podcast to start your day feeling empowered. Hey, elite educators, this is Gretchen of Always a Lesson. I'm an educator who realized that lessons are all around us if we take the time to notice. And when we do, we can then perfect our craft. This podcast is for the elite, the ones who do take the time to invest in themselves, like listening to a podcast like this one so that they can be their best for those that they serve. I share the lessons I learned, am learning, and will learn so that you can then apply those nuggets of knowledge without the baggage that comes with learning those lessons yourself. And my aim is to empower you every episode, so tune in for what's in store for you today. I want to talk about the danger of having a variety of expectations that lead to dysfunctional outcomes for students. I know that sounds like a mouthful and not the most exciting discussion topic, but when you hear what happened and what can happen, I think you're going to be more on fire for ensuring you're doing what's best for kids. So let's go ahead and reignite your passion and potential. Are you ready? Here we go. I hope you all have been having a wonderful summer. I cannot believe it is already August. Time flies when you're having fun. My husband and daughter and I just got back from a trip to Colorado. It was my grandmother's 90th birthday. She looks fantastic, still smart as a whip, and God, is she funny. So we had a great time sightseeing and obviously visiting with family. My husband and I were driving home actually on the way to the airport and we built in some extra time to look around and enjoy all the scenery so we pulled onto this side road that almost looked like a driveway my husband decided he wanted to off-road even though the car we had it was an suv but definitely not you know a jeep wrangler that you think okay this is perfect vehicle to go off-roading and we have a kid in a car seat in the back so i'm thinking this is definitely (laughs) a new experience i don't know how safe this is going to be But I made him stop because there was the most beautiful rushing water. And for some reason, out of all the pictures that I took on this trip, water seems to be the one thing I get most excited about. It's something I find to be the most beautiful. And so I was so focused on trying to get the perfect shot of this water. I just was struggling to capture what I was seeing in front of me versus what the camera was able to depict. And I I just had one of those moments where in my gut, it was like someone was saying, look up. And so I looked up and in front of me is a gorgeous scenery of mountains. And I looked down and then there was trees and grass. And I looked down further and then there was the creek. And I thought to myself, man, what a powerful message in life about how you can be so honed in on something and so frustrated with something that you're missing the bigger picture. So I come running back to the car. I'm like, oh my God, I just had like one of those moments. And my husband's like, what are you talking about? Like, you know, it's like just a powerful, makes you stop in your tracks life moment. You realize you just got schooled. (laughs) 
And you feel like you just, I just needed a moment to collect my thoughts. And so I was telling him, I was just so frustrated. I couldn't get the perfect picture of this water. And then all of a sudden I looked up and it was like, I had missed out on the most beautiful picture. And of course I took a picture then of everything all together in the frame. And that's the one that I think is the most stunning picture of all vacation, not even the close-up of the water. And I've talked numerous times on the podcast, so you'll have to go back to other episodes if you want to hear more about my message on that. But basically, sometimes we get so focused on the nitty-gritty, we really miss the big picture. So I don't want you to get bogged down in the details and miss out on the greatness that's before you. Sometimes you feel like all you do is see all the blades of grass instead of the beauty of the whole field together. So I won't digress there, but I will push into what happened after that moment and what leads me into today's message. And so I was chatting with my uncle who is a priest and he also at Villanova is a professor. And so we always chit chat education and we were discussing teaching and I said, are you going to continue teaching much longer. And he said, you know, I'm getting close to being 60 years old and students stop respecting you when you start getting to a certain age. And I don't want to become that grumpy old teacher. And we started chatting about uh, that. And uh, that could be a whole nother episode of, of why that's the case. But we then got on the topic of grading and he was discussing how he, his whole philosophy on education and how he is, you know, gets out that red pen and he just goes to town on people's papers. And I was like, oh, you're the mean teacher, aren't you? And he's like, no, but you feel accomplished when you get that A. And I said, oh, you probably don't give a lot of A's. And he said, you're right. I don't give grades. The student earns the A or the student earns the B. It's not something he gives. And I liked his outlook on that. And He's like, I, I will never change the way that I do things because if students pass my course, they end up passing the major exam before graduation. And the students that don't pass my class but get A's in everyone else's class or maybe even B's, somehow they flunk the exam and then everyone's coming back to those teachers asking what happened? How, how did this A, B student not do well? And then they look at the grade from my class and realize this is more reflective of what the students able to know and be able to do. And that hit home with me because I taught third grade for so long and we have the end of grade test. And a lot of parents get upset when the student doesn't pass the end of grade test, but they've had A's and B's all year. And it's like, well, how did that happen? And it comes back to us not really aligning what we're doing in the classroom to what is on the test. And it's not that you teach to the test, but you want to make sure the way you're teaching is to the level, to the depth that the test is asking. So if you're never asking your students to think or write or produce on certain topics in certain ways, and then all of a sudden on a test they're asked to do it, of course they're not going to do well. So it's really important not only that we know that our instruction is going to match the level that's required of students, whether it's an end-of-grade test or just for being ready for the next year, but also that those that we're working with do the same because you don't want one student passing third grade, another student passing third grade, and one super prepared for fourth grade, and one can't even add and subtract. And you're thinking, how did this happen? How did you get through the system? Well, that's the dysfunction that is currently in our system. 
And backwards planning has kind of become one of the new best practices. If you haven't heard of it, it's exactly what it sounds like. You go backwards. So you start with that big end of year test, or maybe if you don't have a test in your grade, it's that next grade level. What are the expectations? What do my students have to know and be able to do by that grade? And then you flush it all out backwards, starting with, okay, here's the assessment that I want the kids to be able to pass at the end of the year. From there, I'm going to create my objective so I know what is it I'm going to teach and then fill in the gap of what are the activities, what does this lesson look like. And I've talked on the podcast before about how Pinterest is really bad to get teachers off track because all these activities look so fun and you try and plug them into a lesson and it's like they don't even belong. You know, So we really got to make sure we know what is that end goal Okay, what is the objective? You gotta, you can't teach all of that in one lesson. So your objective are your skills. So what is one skill that I can teach today that will be a, a piece to the pie and that will lead me there, be a stepping stone? Okay, after that day, what's the next skill that I can teach so that I'm slowly building up? And your rigor increases every lesson because you're doing deeper and deeper things thinking at higher levels and in different ways with the content so that students are really able to know and be able to do something. And it's important that not only you know where you're going and to the depth at which you must go, but that your teaching team does, everyone in your grade level, your school, your district. It's like, you know, here's an incomplete game board. And by the way, there's no rules. I mean, how do you even start to play? How do you even ensure that you're going to have the same experience or that your students are going to have the same experience? There, We have got to get some sort of system in place that is functional, which means that teachers are actually going to abide by it. And school districts are actually going to require their teachers to abide by it. And usually I'm, I'm all for like, let teachers do their thing and you know, bring in the creativity. Everything is just so formatted. But when it comes to grading and it comes to assessing, you've got to have that in place because I would be so mad if I failed something and someone else got an A and both of what we produced were the same. I mean, there is a disconnect there for sure. And a rubric is one great way to do that. So you kind of objectify learning. It's great for large groups of people to be normed. I know in my job working with new teachers, we had this rubric, and we would always have a fake candidate that before we jump into working with teachers, we would norm on. So we'd watch a video of this person pretending to teach, and we would use the rubric and say, where are they on this skill, on this teaching technique? And we'd come back together and make sure that we were all assessing in the same way. And that ensured that, you know, when we all went out and had our own little group of new teachers, that we were all preparing them to the same level of performance. And so in the classroom, it's really important that your rubric does the same thing and not just a check sheet, but a depth, again, a range of levels of that skill. So if you're writing something, it's you have to make sure each portion of the writing, whether it's the word usage, whether it's spelling you know, all the grammar pieces to just the deeper thoughts of how you connect points to how you back up your points. And then the actual scale is the rubric, you know, one through five or one through four, the degree to which you're actually doing that consistency wise. And like I said, the depth to which you actually do it. And it's important that every time you use a rubric, you give it to the students first so that they know what is expected of them. Give them a model of a perfect completed assignment or project so they know okay this is what I'm going for that's the end result 
And now I got to work backwards. I got to unpack that into many steps each day so I can eventually end there. And in education, we have got to put more time into planning than into the actual execution so that the execution then can be flawless, can be rigorous, and can be done with fidelity across the board. It always makes me laugh when parents try and pick their teachers. You know, oh, that's the hard one or that's a fun one. But it's really important to differentiate and meet students where they are. But it's just as important that we ensure that there's the same quality of instruction in every room. It doesn't mean you can't have fun and you can't do it in a different way. But you have to make sure the level of what you're teaching and what you're requiring of students is the same. Otherwise, we're not pushing ourselves and our students hard enough. So we've got to know where we're going. We have to hold students accountable, and we have to provide the structure and support to get there. So I call this the where, the what, and the how. So where are, you go, where are students going? What are they producing? How are you getting them there? So here's your action steps. For where are you going? I want you to familiarize yourself with whatever that big test or requirements are and work backwards from there. If you have a quarterly planning, you can sit down with your team and decide, okay, for this entire quarter, what are we teaching? How are we going to get the students there? You got a backwards plan. You got to know what your assessments are. Then you got to plan those objectives. And last, you'll plan all the little fun activities along the way. But you have to make sure the objective is all the skills that are adding up to end up being assessed. Then you can create those clear expectations and those evaluative measures. There, you don't want any surprises. You want to be able to provide detailed feedback to students so they know where they go wrong. What are they missing? To what degree were they accurate? What, what do they, how far do they need to push themselves? And include parents in that discussion so they know how to help at home. And they know when the child comes home with a B, why it was a B, what is missing, what they can do at home to ensure the students are constantly thinking and producing at those levels. And like I said before, show completed assignments. I'm visual. I would love to see what it is you're asking of me. And then I can wrap my head around, okay, how can I make sure every day I'm doing a little piece of that? So you've got your where you're going. You had your what with creating those expectations and those evaluative measures. And now it's time for the how. You need to set up support structures for students to get there, whether it's small groups or allowing manipulatives or you're giving them question stems or you're providing a model or they have a peer mentor. Whatever the supports are, you need to make sure students are going to actually reach the end zone. It's where are you going what is it students have got to do, and how are you going to get them there? We can't allow our peers to lower the bar only for kids to fail later. As a collective effort, we have to do better. We have to not just set the bar high, but we have to plan how students can reach it and what we're doing as the educators to ensure all students are going to be able to get there. And that takes time. It takes an awful lot of planning and forethought but I'm telling you, the end result is always worth it. So as you're going through these action steps, you're where, what, and how. You feel like you just need a sounding board. You want to make sure you're on the right track. Just shoot me an email, Gretchen at alwaysalesson.com. I would love to give you some pointers or tips. If you want to take it further and have a planning session with me, we can set up a Google Hangout and talk it through. I mean, that's what I'm here for. I want to make sure you're successful. You can do this, and you don't have to do it alone. So as back-to-school season starts, have these conversations with your principals, with your coaches, with your mentors, with your teaching team about how you can make sure 
We don't have a dysfunctional grading system that are setting students up for failure, especially if your grade seems to have it going on and you're like, oh, we're good. Yeah, what about the grade below you and the grade above you? Do they have it going on? Because if they don't, the students are failing along the way and they're still your students, whether they're in your grade or not. We have to make sure everybody is stepping up their game, but they've got to know where they're going, what the students have to be able to do, and they have to know how to help them get there. And without these three things, we're going to maintain a dysfunctional grading system. But luckily, I've equipped you today with your steps. Where those expectations and the requirements are, plan backwards, create those expectations and those evaluative measures, think rubrics, and then set up those support structures. You got this. Your students are depending on you to step up your game. But I have all the faith that you can make it happen. All right, Elite Educators, that is a wrap for this week's podcast on ensuring students achieve at high levels by creating instruction that is aligned and supportive for students to reach their destination and beyond. Now go out and be great because you've just been empowered. This podcast is a member of the Education Podcast Network a podcast network that encourages you to think about your profession and succeed in the world of education. Whether you're a first-year educator or a seasoned veteran, there is a podcast for you. All of the shows are produced by educators who want to shape education through meaningful discussion and content. So head on over to edupodcastnetwork.com for more details.